the OnScript podcast, your home for world-class conversations on scripture and theology, where you get to meet some of the best in the field. Visit us at onscript.study. Say hello on Twitter at OnScript Podcast and stop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash OnScript. Hey everyone, welcome back to the OnScript Podcast. This is Matt Lynch coming to you from Regent College in Vancouver. I'm a co-host along with Matt Bates, Drew Johnson, Aaron Heim, Chris Tilling, and Amy Brown-Hughes. We're a collective that are interested in the intersection of biblical studies and theology. And uh, this episode is going to be pretty different than other ones we've had. In fact, it's not even one we produced. This is a uh, Regent College podcast episode. So you'll have two different um, co-hosts today, along with a different uh, a guest, Bethany, Dr. Bethany Solarator. And I, I asked if they if they would let us play this episode on our podcast because I think it sounds um, some notes that resonate with some of the themes that have come up in previous OnScript episodes, and and I felt like it would be uh, worth playing and enjoyable to listen to. So you'll have two different co-hosts for this podcast. You have Claire Perini and also Octavio Fernandez y Mostajo, who are going to co-host for this episode. So I hope you enjoy the episode, and if you want more information or want to listen to other podcasts, um, you can look up the Regent College podcast. Uh, special thanks uh, for letting us play this on the OnScript feed, and uh, you can also find out information at regent-college.edu. Thanks for listening. Bethany, welcome to the Regent College podcast. Thank you very much. It's a joy to to be here. Good to have you. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the ideas that we find in your book. Very cool to have written a book Mm -hmm. called God, Evolution and Animal Suffering, Theodicy Without a Fall. So as we begin, I wonder if you can give us a bit of a sense of what, what do we mean by theodicy? Yeah, thank you. Theodicy is generally that branch of theology that deals with the questions like, why does God allow evil? Mm. Why is there sin in the world? What, what effect does it have? So anything, anything trying to understand why a good God, who is also powerful, would allow evil is generally under the, the umbrella of theodicy. Mm-hmm. Now, there are more technical terms. So some people would say theodicy is a type of theology that actually tries to put forward the exact reasons God allows suffering. You know, mm-hmm. these are the reasons, whereas the other term is called a defense. And mm, yeah, that. uh, that's, that's usually used when somebody is saying, I don't know if these are the reasons, but they're plausible reasons why God may allow suffering. Right. So a defense is a little bit less ambitious than a theodicy. Okay. Okay. So this, it says theodicy without a fall. That's like a hypothetical world where a, the fall didn't happen. Or what's, what's that all about? <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So I was trying to be a little bit provocative in, in putting that subtitle in. And what my book deals with is only animal suffering not human suffering. And it particularly deals with animal suffering throughout the evolutionary process. So when humans weren't around to have fallen in the first place. Mm. So although I do accept a human fall, I I Mm. accept that uh, sin entered the world and has messed up the relationships of creation, 
between humans and and the world around them. I don't think that that had the effect of making lions go after gazelles or orcas after baby seals. I think that those were always in place as part of God's good creation. Mm. And that's giving myself a harder job because then I've got to say, you know, why would a good God allow this versus saying this is because of human sin or uh, because of satanic sin? There are several people who will say uh, the violence and competition that we see in evolution was never meant to be there. It's because Satan interfered from the very beginning. Mm. And so, so then essentially what you're saying is that the, is, is this, am I hearing you right? In the sense that, so if we're assuming that there's a human fall, but that the, the human fall didn't necessarily impact the, a f- a sort of, yeah, something, yeah, in the animal kingdom or in creation more broadly, in the sense that there was death, bef- there was death and life in creation before the fall, and violence in the rest. Yeah, there was violence. I mean, we know that. We know that mm. dinosaurs ate one another. We can see the tooth marks of this kind of dinosaur on that kind of dinosaur's bones. Uh, we know that they had bone cancer. You know, things like disease and. Uh, cancer oh, were, yes, were all... No, they had cancer? That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, we can see it in their bones. So that's not a new thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, cancer happens because we have genetic mutations. Yeah. And those same genetic mutations that cause cancer also allow us to be different from one another. They're what allow the sort of variety that, that give us evolutionary development. So mm-hmm. we actually need that genetic mutation mm-hmm. uh, in order to change... As, as life continues, mm. we couldn't live without it. So, yeah, cancer has always been around. It's not, it's not a result of, of human influence mm. on the world. Yeah, to, to ask the same question, because okay, people might be listening and saying, okay, this lady, who, by the way, has a doctorate, and she's super smart, <laughs> is saying that the fall did not touch the animals. Are you crazy? And please tell me more. Because <laughs> oh, okay. that's so, okay, I want to hear the whole thing. That's so interesting. It, it touches animals in the sense of when I'm greedy and I use more resources and I eat more meat than the earth can sustain, I'm affecting animals. When I insist mm. on my beauty products having palm oil mm. in it, I'm contributing to the deforestation of the Amazon, right? So, the, you know, there are ways that... Uh, we do influence the natural world in really terrible ways. And climate change is another example of how human overreach is causing problems. But the essential nature of life, that life depends on death, that creatures Mm -hmm. eat each other, that there is limited resources and more reproduction than those resources can supply, I don't think is a result of the fall. Mm -hmm. So even with humans, and this is possibly where I get more controversial, I don't think that we were ever made to be immortal here on this earth, but that immortality was always something we're called forward to. And uh, what entered through the fall is that sin made death problematic. So the way we Mm -hmm. experience death is vastly different from what it would have been. And I think that sometimes in the lives of uh, the saints and the lives of the martyrs, we see them inhabiting death in a very peaceful way, in a very joyful way. 
And I think that even under the worst circumstances, they're embracing it with joy. And I think there's something about that hearkening to a, a pre-fall experience of death mm. where you're simply saying, I'm walking through the door to, to find Jesus. Um, mm rather than this, I have to cling to life. So I think, I think that human death, physical death was always part and parcel of creation. And what we introduced was spiritual death and spiritual death's effects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there was always death, but sin just made it problematic. Well, think about when Paul talks about death. I mean, in the in the two passages, in Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 15, he says things like, I die every day, brothers, I mean that, mm-hmm. you know, and I myself no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So he's talking about death in ways that don't mean that his body died, yeah, yeah. but that he spiritually died with Christ and is spiritually raised with Christ. Mm-hmm. And yet, despite Jesus dealing with our sin problem, we still die physically. But... Though outwardly we waste away, inwardly we are renewed day by day. So I think I think that's more like what it would be. And from a scientific point of view, that makes a lot of sense. There's really no way to be immortal in this world that wouldn't be a huge problem for every other creature. Mm-hmm. In fact, cancer is a form of immortality. So what cancer cells have figured out is how to reproduce without limit. Mm-hmm. So whereas regular cells divide a certain number of times, then undergo uh, apoptosis, a kind of cellular suicide, cancer cells will just reproduce forever and ever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. And that's why they grow tumors. That's why mm-hmm. they're so out of control. Hmm. So, so then the extent is that, so what you're saying is that then both natural evil and death existed before the fall. Is that, is yeah. that right? Yeah. 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 And that what we're, what we're talking about is then this kind of what it, it became problematic because of the spiritual death that then happened after the fall, as opposed to the physical death, as opposed to a physical death. Okay. Yep. So death is always part of the design for yes. created creatures to die and end their cycle. Right. That was, that was. Okay. Yes. And then we get to feed each other. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Lord Wilkinson would often quote uh, this Bertolt Brecht play where he would say, the motto of hell is eat or be eaten, but the Uh motto of heaven is eat and be eaten. Mm. You know, so there's a sense of, yeah, when I've lived my life, then I give up my resources to other creatures. And as I've fed on others, they get to feed on me. And that's actually an idea that Charles Kingsley was talking about in the 1880s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then what, what did, so the fall, we, I've always thought of the fall impacting humans and humans or humans and God, humans and humans, humans and creation. Yeah. Does that theory still hold? Yes, it does. But I would, I would change the way we, we think about how that happened. Yeah. So for example, in, in somebody like John Donne or somebody like C.S. Lewis, they would imagine a pre-fall world where bears wouldn't attack humans. You know, mm-hmm. lions would right. never attack humans. And that was the proper relationship between humans and non-human animals. And I don't think that's right. Mm. I think I think that bears would have always been bears and would have always attacked humans. Mm. But I think mm. we would have uh, responded to being attacked by a bear differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the image I sometimes use is 
we we sometimes think about the fall as a virus. It's something that goes out and infects all of creation and all of creation starts acting sick. Mm. But what I tend to use is more a metaphor that creation is like a symphony orchestra where you have all the different sections doing their thing and you've got a performance that's going on. Now imagine if one section, say the trumpets goes rogue, Mm. right? So they start just playing whatever they want. They're just making noises and everything like that. So their relationship to the rest of the symphony orchestra is messed up. They're not coordinated with themselves and the conductor is going to be going, you know, what's up guys, Mm, (laughs) this mm. isn't right. This is not how I'm conducting you to play. And the whole performance would be ruined by them acting in that way. Mm. But it doesn't mean that all the other instruments aren't doing the right thing or that all the other instruments have gone out of tune suddenly or like that, right? Yeah, they're still continuing on. Mm. Yeah. Yes, so I think not many people have an issue with death itself, like being the end of of beings. I think most people have an issue with suffering that comes before death. Right, like like being attacked by a bear or being being part of a I don't know of some sort of assassination or something like being taking away the honor of your death or the pain that comes before you you leave the world. So so I think that's more the, more of the issue of people saying okay. So there was that sort of high level suffering before the fall. So suffering was also part of the design. So people will say like, yeah, I, I agree with death being part of the design. Okay, because everything, I don't know, begins, it's got to end. Exactly. To but what about the suffering? The, God would design suffering, give it a purpose, give it a place in, in the world he called good. So I, I think that's more, even more of the issue than death being there or not being there, right? For To answer that, I would put sort of my science hat on, as it were, and say, actually, when we look at what suffering does in living creatures, it's hugely beneficial. Mm. So if we looked at the early life where you have algae, you know, floating around the ocean or bacteria uh, running around wild, they had very happy lives. There was no suffering. They just wandered around, swapped bacteria, swapped DNA, you know, fed on. So happy. You know, it was, it was your peaceful world. There was no suffering, but there was also no love, no joy, no memory, Mm -hmm. no uh, capacity for moral choice. Right. And so um, when you get into more complex organisms, every branch of complex organism has developed the ability to suffer because it's protective. So develop the ability of suffering. Oh, okay. Okay. So like if I if I reach out my hand and touch the stove, I pull yeah. back because it's hot. Yeah. And I only know that because it causes me pain. So people who are born without the ability to suffer actually don't flourish mm-hmm. because they continuously hurt themselves yeah. and, and don't know how to protect themselves. So we actually need suffering to live well in a world where um, you can move around mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, be, be attacked and there are harmful things. So the, the more sort of able you are, the more you're able to suffer. Mm-hmm. And so with, with social creatures, it's the same thing. The very same 
capacities, cognitive capacities that allow us to have great joy and great love are also the things that allow us to feel intense loneliness and regret mm-hmm. and all of that. And so yeah. it's, it's a bit of a package deal. You can't have the goods without the the possibility of the harms. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What I think is, is you, you said death was good, but then sin came and sort of, quote unquote, ruined it. And I think it would go kind of the same with suffering, because suffering was, like you said, an ability of of uh, that uh, I don't know complex organisms developed in animals, and then, but then came sin, and maybe kind of ruined that good ability. Yeah. That, so yeah. So we we suffer for the wrong reasons. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, you you can suffer in a beneficial way. If you fall into a fire, you know you need to get out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you're being tortured, now you're being you're suffering for for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. You know, if you're suffering because you're in a war zone, I don't think that's what God intended. I don't think mm-hmm. that 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 is beneficial yeah, yeah. suffering. You know, if you're being, uh, if you're suffering because you're being bullied or because you're being ostracized, that's a whole different yeah. ball game from the type of suffering that would happen just naturally in the mm. world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like, sin took suffering and perverted it, or took advantage of it, or used it used it for the bad. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And that's not to say, I mean, some of the suffering that we go through is quite good, you know. So mm-hmm. if my body, body is uh, fighting off an infection, it's good that I feel bad because then I stay home and lay down and let my body recover mm-hmm. rather than go on my morning run and, and compromise my immune system yet further. I'm thinking about nature. And I, cause I, was, I was listening to, to a talk you gave at Regent two or three days ago, mm. maybe something like that. Yeah, last week. And in... And, and, I was I was thinking about you know a lot of people base the their idea that that sin infiltrated into nature with Genesis three and I've, I'm sure you read it but I'm going to read it uh, so people can 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 rehear it hear it again yeah. <laughs> about about when when God curses like quote unquote curses the land and when it says uh, it's Genesis three seventeen it says to Adam he said because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It would produce thorns and thistles for you, and it will. And you will eat from the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat from the food until you return to the ground, etc., etc. So people understand, okay, there you go. God, because of the man, cursed uh, creation. They normally say I heard it said creation uh, and, and like sin entered every part of, of creation. So, so would you say the ground being nature plants and like sin touched them? Well, so this is, that's a really complex pack passage and there's a lot I could uh, unpack. So for example, Augustine, when he's talking about this in uh, his commentary on Genesis. He says, well, thorns and thistles, the ground shall bring forth to you. So he actually says, well, thorns and thistles grew before that because they're a pleasant food for donkeys and, you know, other animals. Mm-hmm. It's just now that they're, they're going to have a, a combative relationship with humans. So even in the history of tradition, we don't have necessarily the idea that this is the first time thorns and thistles started growing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I I 
would maybe question Augustine a little bit. But one of the biggest problems with that passage is that people read to the end of Genesis 3, maybe they read Genesis 4, they hit the genealogies, and then they stop (laughs) reading. And that's a problem because that story actually goes on. So you have the ground that's cursed in Genesis mm-hmm. 3. It comes up again with Cain and Abel that the, the ground is under this curse. And then when Noah is born, his father names him Noah, which means sort of release and, and prays that God would release them from the toil on the ground. So Noah's father is saying, you know, God, may you use this uh, son of mine to undo that curse that's on the on the ground. And so then you have the whole decreation of the world in the mm-hmm. flood event and God recreating. And after Noah offers his sacrifice, God says, I will no longer curse the ground. And mm-hmm. in the whole rest of the mm-hmm. of the Old Testament, you never get a place where you have those true two words, the ground, the Adama being cursed, Arar mm-hmm. again. So I think even in the Old Testament, you see the beginning of that story and the end of that story and a new creation with Noah. And so Noah, right, gets off the boat, he sacrifices, and then the ground is actually so fruitful that he makes this vineyard and makes an abundance of wine and gets mightily drunk, right? Mm. <laughs> because the ground is suddenly so fruitful after. Yeah, that's the first time I hear that connection. So actually, that was something that Ian Proven uh, help me work out. So he's oh, he okay. taught me some of that in his Genesis course. So are there other aspects that the fall did or didn't impact? Yes. Uh, it impacted uh, human ability not to sin. Yep. And because of our sin, we then impact everything else in a in a more or less direct way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we are impacting life through climate change. We're impacting Mm. life through uh, factory farming and deforestation and adding, uh, you know, acidity to the oceans. And actually, I mean, the whole idea of us causing mass extinctions, we think of as sort of a post-industrial thing, but there's good evidence that anytime humans showed up on a new continent, Mm -hmm. we hunted everything that was large and tasty to extinction quite quickly. (laughs) Uh, the only places we failed to do that were in Africa where there's the co-evolution so they, you know, the animals got big and strong just as quickly as we could get better at hunting them. Mm-hmm. And a few North American species like the bison managed to avoid extinction. But if you look at South America, North America, and um, up in, in Europe, things like the woolly mammoth, mm-hmm. it, it looks like we've, we've been causing extinction for a really long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so friggin' depressing. <laughs> oh, dang. We, we've just always been humans, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, we haven't. We came from other things that. And in all of this, Bethany, you're you're assuming. I, what, what's beautiful about this is that you're kind of what you're doing is integrating what we've understood about kind of evolutionary evidence, and then what we're seeing in the biblical narrative, and seeing that those two things are not in conflict with one another, but that actually what we're learning about ev- what we've learned about the way the world is through evolution and whatever actually resonates with what we might understand the biblical narrative to say. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the, the, the science really tells an exciting story Mm. that gives us a whole lot of scope to 
not rewrite the Christian story. I don't think we should do that, but sort of retranslate it, Mm, mm. you know? So, I mean, Eugene Peterson did the message. He translated the Bible into modern day uh, parlance, you know, idiom and Mm. and style. So I'm just sort of saying, okay, let's throw science into the mix and see, see how the Christian story can be retold in a way that's coherent today. Yeah, and in yeah. 200 years, when the science changes, as it absolutely will, then, you know, future generations get to do the same thing and have the same fun. Yeah, yeah. And that science isn't then undermining the biblical story at all, uh, but that is is helping to helping us to kind of reimagine it uh, in a perhaps a deeper, fuller way. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. What books could you recommend to people that are just thinking about, okay, this goes against everything I've been taught about, you know, you don't open the door to evolution. You, you just don't, because once you do, you're lost. You're, you're just, mm. you're lost. Yeah. I mean, if people just want to explore, there'd be a few different places they could go. The first, if they're looking for a very short uh, set of things, not sort of book length, I would recommend the Biologos website. It's biologos.org. Mm. Okay. And they've got just thousands of articles by many of the best people in the field, uh, just starting with the very basic questions about what evidence do we have that evolution happened and what, how do we read Genesis, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. If someone was looking for a a slim book length thing, Mm -hmm. then I think uh, Dennis Lamoureux, who's here at the University of Alberta, wrote a book called I Love Jesus and I Accept Evolution. (laughs) And what's great about it is that he's really trying to, it tells his story about how he was going, when he became a Christian, he decided that he needed to prove evolution wrong. Mm -hmm. And so he went out to get a double PhD, a PhD in evolutionary biology, and then a PhD in theology. And he did these both and went, oh, you know what? There's not a conflict here. (laughs) Mm, mm. And yeah, evolution definitely happened when I look with my scientific eyes and when I look with my theological eyes, uh, I I can see a different way of reading scripture. And so his short book, uh, I Love Jesus and I Accept Evolution is really good. For those who want a bigger treatment, especially of the biblical questions, um, I would suggest his bigger book, Evolutionary Creation. Mm. Uh, another book people have found useful is The Language of God by Francis Collins mm. or um, How I Found Peace with Science by Daryl Falk. And uh, there's one by Dennis Alexander in the UK called uh, Evolution or Creation, Do We Have to Choose? Mm-hmm. Have you there ever you felt personally as a, as some, uh, that you've had to choose at some point? Like how have you – what's your journey been yeah. – like personally, as you've thought about these questions? I mean, I didn't, I didn't grow up in sort of a practicing Christian family. So Mm -hmm. when I started practicing uh, Christianity, when I was 15, I was already on board with evolution. So I remember having debates in Bible college and, you know, people saying, Oh, you can't believe the earth is old. You can't accept evolution. And I was kind of like, as long as God is the creator, that's all I care Mm. about. So actually, Mm. I was totally uninterested in science and religion because I just thought, I don't know, it's two scientists yelling at each other as far as I can tell. Mm -hmm, That mm -hmm. really doesn't matter to me at all. And what what caught me was when I started understanding how bringing science to the table 
really starts challenging some of the hermeneutics. It really started making me ask questions about how do we read the Bible? What's in the Bible? Mm. uh, And what does that mean today? And that was really exciting to me was questions about how we read Genesis Mm -hmm. and far less on the, you know, science side of it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I like science, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I never had a huge problem with evolution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm, And I think that's okay. Like I don't, Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm in discussion with somebody or I have students who don't accept evolution, that doesn't really bother me. Mm. What I want to see is that they're willing to consider uh, evidence and that they're willing to consider how they read the Bible. And if they walk away reading it the same way they did, that that doesn't bother me. Mm. As long as they've taken the time to really think about why do I, why do I read the Bible this way mm-hmm. and what are the arguments yeah. from the other side. How do we understand redemption then? Yeah, that's right. Well, it's kind of like if the if the if the biblical story is one of creation, fall, redemption, consummation. How do we understand the latter? So we've sort of talked about this kind of creation fall zone. How do we understand then redemption and then the consummation part? How do we help us help us understand that? Yeah, because part part of the argument there is is you know it was beautiful before sin and sin ruined everything that's why we need redemption mm-hmm. so i know there's there's different points of view uh, behind that but uh, that's part of mm-hmm. it part of mm-hmm. the, the re- reasoning okay. so what you have just described to me is sort of a u-shaped uh, scriptural narrative where everything yeah. started at the perfect place and then it yeah. fell down and then slowly a U-turn is done and we're going to get back up to redemption. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't read the biblical narrative in that way. Mm-hmm. I read the biblical narrative more like a ramp going upwards. And so the, the, what the fall was in, in my mind was not a fall from perfection but rather something that was like a stumble on mm-hmm. the way to growth. So I take sort of Irenaeus's view that, that Adam and Eve weren't morally perfect in the garden like Augustine was, but rather that they sort of stumbled as they grew. So the mm-hmm. fall was more like uh, a six-year-old getting into the car and turning on the ignition, trying to drive out. They were grabbing at something that was meant to be theirs too early Mm-hmm. And it was problematic for that reason. So if I have more like a ramp upwards, it means that redemption would have happened even if sin hadn't entered the world. Mm-hmm. That the new creation was always the end goal of creation and and would have happened either way. So actually the end point looks quite similar uh, mm. in the terms of mm. God needing to remake the whole world, that the whole world will be renewed. So everything that you'd read in Tom Wright's uh, Surprised by Hope, all of that sort of thing is is very much what I would adhere yeah. to. Yeah. I would just disagree on on the beginning of how and why we need that. Mm-hmm. So how does Jesus fit then? Well, if we think about what Jesus does, Jesus mm. does deal with the sin problem, mm. Mm. right? But I think that Jesus would have been incarnate even if we hadn't sinned. I don't think that Jesus was right. like a plan B where yeah, God's right. like, oh no, they've sinned. Oh, Better do something my... about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Jesus is the culmination of creation. Jesus is mm-hmm. uh, where creation was headed all along. Right. And all we're trying to do, you know, what, what Jesus does is is come and be the culmination of creation, but also 
deals with the sin problem and whether mm-hmm. we want to talk about different atonement models or whatever, I, I like them all. <laughs> I mm. like Christus Victor. I like, uh, you know, substitutionary atonement. I think these are helpful slices of, of reality that help us see God's work. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, one of the ways I talk about redemption is kind of like a, a photographic mosaic. Mm-hmm. I think I talked about this in my lecture a yeah, little bit. To talk more about that, because yeah, it's that very compelling. Yeah. yeah. So uh, a lot of people think that, uh, or one, one image that I've seen is that people talk about redemption like a tapestry that God's been weaving. And one day God's going to flip it all over and we'll see the design that was there all along. And I don't really like that image for a number of reasons. I think that one one thread is not very different from another. There's no personal identity. They only make sense when they're put together. Right. But it also means that God's design has been for all the evil, for all the bad things to happen, you know. And I, I don't like that kind of an image. I'd rather say that evil happened against God's will, but God will work to redeem it. And so... The the image of redemption that I have is more like each of our lives are a little photograph. Mm-hmm. And what God will do is rearrange those photographs in the new creation to make a mosaic that portrays a beautiful new creation, mm-hmm. a, a beautiful bigger picture. New kingdom, yeah. a bigger picture. And so yeah. that means that the meaning of each little pixel is only finally revealed in a sense when God remakes that the meaning of the evil things that have happened will only be determined in the end. And so where is Jesus in that? I think Jesus is kind of two things. Jesus is the central pixel Mm. around which everything else is Mm. arranged. But Jesus is also the algorithm. Jesus is the reason that the Mm. final picture is Mm. one of peace and goodness and not like a terrible Hieronymus Bosch painting of terror. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... Mm -hmm. You need you need both. You need you need something around which everything else organizes, and you need the algorithm that takes those disparate pieces and organizes them into that that good. Yeah. I guess you're not saying that Jesus is organizing those things from above, right? You know, moving the pieces, move, moving the pawns, moving you know from above like a puppet master, right? I guess you're saying he arranged that through incarnation and death, right? Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Okay, because because what what I'm thinking is. At least, at least how we're presented the gospel is: you have a problem, that's sin. Somebody had to pay for the sin, and that was Jesus. And now you feel bad because Jesus died in your place, right? And now <laughs> he took your place, and now you have you have a, a right to eternal life, right? So in my in my head is that I mean it's been for years. That's the main reason. But when you say I'm trying to understand what you're saying uh, that if sin wouldn't have entered the world, Jesus still would have come. And, and be incarnate in, in the whole thing. So, okay, taking that hypothetical, uh, what do you call it, hypothetical pathway or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, can you help me understand a little bit, a little bit more or better that kind of concept of, of God, of Jesus still coming without a fall? Mm. And why would he come without a fall? Mm. Yeah, I think Jesus would have come without a fall because creation is about relationship. Mm. And I think that God's intention was always to be uh, united with creation to take on creation. And so I don't know if you've heard the term deep incarnation. 
no, it's, I'm it's one that uh, Neil Stevenson and Elizabeth Johnson and others, and they sort of say, look, we've told this story about Jesus came to save human sin and this abstraction atonement and all of that, and that's fine. It's just not a big enough picture mm. because okay. Jesus becoming incarnate didn't only become human. He became living flesh. He became mm. his DNA. He became carbon. He became uh, oxygen and hydrogen and nitrogen, all the things that make up uh, the whole universe. And so uh, Jesus was made mammal. <laughs> Jesus yeah. was made vertebrate. <laughs> yeah. Jesus was made living creature. And insofar as that's the case, we can, we can expand how, how widely we see the stretch of the incarnation to think of it as, as Jesus, not just inhabiting humanity, but Jesus inhabiting the whole universe. I really like that part when you say that our, our, our understanding of incarnation and salvation is very, very anthropocentric. Mm-hmm. And, and when you mentioned that, it, it's, it's, it's not just about us, the humans, the kings, it's not just about that. And I, I, re- I really, really, that, that got me thinking for days, actually, when I heard that for the first time. I was like, I went home, I told my wife, like, you know what you said? You know what you said? It's so anthropocentric. Hey, we became, Jesus became carbon, hydrogen, and hydrogen. She was like, what, what we have lunch and just looking at me like, like you don't get it you didn't hear the whole thing yeah yeah and i i, I really enjoy that part oh yes yeah I, no I, it's I, a really exciting view and i think yeah. that's what caught me was i just suddenly started thinking like oh my goodness this is so neat and this changes how mm. i want to live in the world mm. you know if if i'm going to eat differently it's not be going to be because i'm feel ashamed of being human but because I understand how deeply my life is integrated with the lives of all of those around me, you know? Um, And it, it means that when we participate in the natural world, when I go for a hike across the English countryside or in the Canadian Rockies, I'm in, I'm in some way sharing in, in that incarnation of God as the spirit of God who lives in me, you know, is, Mm. is walking through the world where we're, yeah, little like little ambassadors, but not mm-hmm. only to humans, but to the whole natural world. And then you think of Francis of Assisi preaching to birds and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. <laughs> and I mean, I used to, I heard one time that Billy Graham used to preach to trees. And so when we used to, when I used to walk oh, my dog up and uh, down the streets here, I used to preach to the trees when I was <laughs> practicing. But but I wasn't actually preaching to the trees. I was just mm-hmm. practicing and pretending. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, now I have a wider sense, and I yeah. think, yeah, praise God, you trees. You yeah, because yeah. <laughs> that would actually address some some you know wild conversation I've, I've heard. You know, like imagine there's a uh, a galaxy far, far away, and there's you know creatures, and they sin as well. Mm. Would Jesus die again for them? What do you think? And people say, like, of course, Jesus would die for them because he loves them as well. So imagine they're like ten thousand galaxies. Yeah, Jesus would die ten thousand times again. But if if you say he already became, you know, nitrogen, like all the elements already, he's like, in that case, it, was, it wouldn't be necessary for him to die for all those 10,000 hypothetical, hypothetical galaxies. <laughs> in a sense, it wouldn't, right? No, he wouldn't need to for, for the salvation of sin, but he might want to be incarnate there anyways, just so that they could know him. Okay. Right. So again, if Jesus isn't coming as savior, that doesn't mean that Jesus wouldn't be incarnate. Yeah. I mean, it's a wild, it was a wild conversation. I, it's, it's, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, 
these are important questions because with all the work that's being done on exoplanets, how quickly we're mm -hmm. finding them and the research that we're doing on the origin of life is more and more showing that life is made of the most common elements in the universe. Uh, and, you know, the sorts of, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? The, the sorts of, uh, the way that the world was the conditions, that was the mm. word that, that, we're on the early earth look like they're probably abundant throughout the universe. And so if that's the case, it may very well be that the, the universe is full of life. Mm -hmm. And I think that God would by all means make God's self, uh, known to all those populations. I think, you know, I think that Jesus was incarnate as a human because we had the cognitive capacity to understand what that mm -hmm. meant. Mm -hmm. But I think God is also present to the bacteria present to the wolves present mm. to the the falcons and the mice as as much as they can contain as mm. much as they can understand mm. Mm -hmm. so why did jesus die in order to save us from our sin i mean i don't mm. you know but that part that's still the same <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. That, that part's still the same <laughs> you yeah. know i mean had Jesus not had to die for our sin, I think Jesus still would have bodily died, but yep, wouldn't right. have died carrying the sin of the world. Right, right, right. Yep, yeah, yep. So he would have died an old man, you know, yep. in his bed. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, interesting. Okay, different death. His 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 incarnate body when he was walking around Galilee, it was different from his resurrected body. Mm. Right. Right? Just as ours will be. So he still would have had to walk through the doors of death, as it were, in order to be resurrected, just as we will have to. Okay, for death's sake. But he, he died on a cross, you know, to, to redeem us from sin. Clear, all clear, super it's clear? It's clear, it's all super clear. <laughs> I got it, nailed it, nailed it. It, it. it is just fascinating just hearing you talk and just, I don't know, obliterate you with more questions and more questions. We'd love to do that, but our time is running, it's running out. Yeah. So I would love for you to just to give you some space to say whatever you want to say that you might have thought it was just left out and might be misunderstood somehow. Just give you mm. space to say something else. Yeah, um, I think one of the most important things is how we treat the world today. I think that mm. climate change is a pressing global issue. The world's just been through its hottest July in history. And that's not just in human history. That's as far as we can tell in yeah. Earth's history. Yeah. Uh, oh, really? So, yeah. So I, I think that we really need to be active. I think this is a place where Christians have been behind uh, the curve when it comes to being part of saying we need to take action mm -hmm. to help the earth be a good home to all its humans and, and non-human mm -hmm. inhabitants. And so it really is time to, to work through our theology in such a way that we mm -hmm. can get on board with those who are saying we need to make changes. Right. Not because I don't believe in the new creation, not because I don't believe that God acts in the world, but what sin tells me is that God allows us to experience the results of our sin, mm. but it doesn't save us from those things. And so for the world of our children and our grandchildren, we need to start making change now. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you. Could you plug your book and any articles you have? <laughs> uh, well, there are articles on BioLogos that are freely available. There's a couple in Christian Century uh, that I think one is uh, The Purpose of Dinosaurs is freely available. The other one is is uh, Behind a Paywall. Uh, my book is a problematic thing to plug because it is so expensive. Rutledge uh, put it as an academic book. Oh, no. So it's, it's you know, I think at, at the Regent Bookstore, it was listed at $195. Oh. Uh, but if people really want to read it, Rutledge has given me a private paperback copy that I can get on demand and print and sell to people for more like $35. Oh, yes. Uh, plus shipping and handling. So if, if people really want to read a copy, they should just get in touch with me by email. Mm-hmm. Uh, your email is? Uh, Bethany.soloretter at theology.ox.ac.uk. Bethany, thanks so much for your time and thanks for all the work that you're and thinking that you're doing around this challenging issue, but actually the more yeah. you talk about it, it makes lots of sense. It's not so bad. It's also so bad after all. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a yeah. real privilege to yeah. be It's been a pleasure. Hopefully Hello, we'll do this. World. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> Hopefully we'll do it again sometime. Yeah, yeah let's do it again. Write something else crazy and, like, yeah. mind-bending. <laughs> I've got something on the go. I'm done oh, sure. yeah. <laughs> we'll talk again. Okay, thanks, Bethany. Bye, Bethany. See ya. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Regent College Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit regent.net. That's R-G-N-T dot net. <laughs>